Sermon on the Mount in general, Beatitudes in particular, uh, my my gaze was lifted above the horizon of all that, and uh, I recaptured a vision of Christ's kingdom. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I am Jonathan Master, and while our listeners cannot see James Dolezal, I can. And James, it is good to see you. How are you doing? Good to see you too. Good to be seen. By you, at least. Maybe not. Yes, yes. You know, and it's good to also welcome our our guest today. Chris Castaldo is the lead pastor at New Covenant Church in Naperville, Illinois. He's authored other books as well. But today we want to uh, have him on to talk about the Upside Down Kingdom, Wisdom for Life from the Beatitudes, published by Crossway very recently. And so, Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jonathan. My pleasure. Chris, I want to ask at the beginning about your approach to the Beatitudes. Uh, Our listeners may or may not be familiar with this, but there are a number of competing interpretive approaches to the Beatitudes, competing ways to understand uh, these, these words of our Lord. And so I wondered if you could just at the beginning outline a little bit of what some of the competing alternatives are and then, and then what approach you seek to take in this book. Yeah, one of the conversations that's unfolded through the centuries is whether it represents wisdom literature or is it uh, an apocalyptic genre describing the new creation of Christ. And most scholars believe it's both. And there are supremely practical implications to that. Um, It was over the last three years of pastoral ministry in the struggle and strain of COVID mitigation and all the rest that I read the Beatitudes and found in it the solvent for my fears and apprehensions. Uh, Someone has said pastoral ministry is the art of disappointing people at a rate they can absorb. And we who serve the church over the the recent past can probably identify with that. And so in the Sermon on the Mount in general, Beatitudes in particular, uh, my, my gaze was lifted above the horizon of all that. And uh, I recaptured a vision of Christ's kingdom. Well, could you could you talk about that a little bit more? Because I think it is interesting that you set this in the context of your own recent pastoral ministry and, and the kinds of things we've all been experiencing. So what what is it that makes our present moment? Why is there a peculiar need for the Beatitudes in our present moment? Of course, they're always relevant, always necessary. But what did you find about the peculiar applicability of the Beatitudes for for the time we're living in right now yeah the first thing you're struck with it seems to me is the counterintuitive turn you know uh, blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who mourn blessed are the meek uh jesus teaching is surprising it's countercultural. so as i was recognizing how that applied to myself in in serving the church i was also recognizing how the church very often grounds its identity and calling in in these errors, in these misconceptions. And so here in Naperville, a a very affluent, driven uh, community, I call it the Achievatron. You know, it's where you start preparing your child for the SAT at age six. And it's success. It's accomplishment. That's the measure of God's blessing very often. And so the, the Beatitudes provides a corrective to that. It reminds us that the downward trajectory of Jesus' life and death is, in fact, the way to salvation. 
Chris, is there a in in that? And it, you're right. It is counter. It is counterintuitive uh, to certain um, ideas of upward mobility and how it's achieved. Uh, and you're talking about almost something like downward mobility uh, is the way. Um, is there an echo in your treatment of something like Luther's theology of the cross, uh, yeah, which is thanks, as James. opposed to a theology of glory, maybe? That's exactly right. I nearly said that. Uh, so Luther in the 16th century developed this uh, concept that the way in which we encounter Jesus, the way we manifest his kingdom life is is downward. It's cruciform uh, over against the, the approach of the Roman church in his day, which was uh, ascending, that was uh, looking to one's own meritorious works as the measure of their worth before God. And so this is a, another way of articulating that same idea. We think of the way we use power, for example, particularly in this cultural moment. Uh, we want to dominate. We, we want to overcome our enemy. That's a very different approach from what we see in the life of Jesus, the, the suffering servant. I was in Italy doing some research this summer for a book on the Italian Reformation. And in Florence, I revisited the uh, the David, Michelangelo's David. It's interesting. I was I was struck. It stands 16 feet tall. The Italians call him Il Gigante, the giant. Now think about that for a moment. Little David defeated Goliath, the giant. But when we make a David, we turn him into the giant. That's the human impulse that needs attention in light of the Beatitudes. In terms of in terms of the 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 meekness and the mourning how does how do the beatitudes how does the happiness that that we seek relate to the different uh postures of the soul that are outlined there for us is this something that is just simply an exclusively future um is our happiness purely in the future or how are we supposed to think about these this current downward trajectory downward mobility of cross-bearing relative to the happiness that is held forth is this a is this a happiness now or a happiness later or is it some kind of mix how should we think about the connection between blessed are the poor in spirit and then the blessing that follows after yeah, most of the Beatitudes are in the future tense. And so blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Um, but the first and the last of them are in the present tense. For, for the poor in spirit and for the persecuted, theirs is currently the kingdom of heaven. And, and most interpreters have recognized and inaugurated eschatology. We already have the presence of the kingdom and we await the day when it will come in its fullness. So to your question, James, we have the, the opportunity, indeed the calling to embody these virtues now and by the spirit we're capable of doing that. That's where we find joy. Um, and we await the day when it will arrive in its fullness. The way I describe that in the book is in terms of, of the so-called upsilon vector, a hopelessly esoteric sounding term, but it's really practical. You know, imagine a U, a upsilon or a horseshoe, you know, that portrays the contours of Jesus' life. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, but in due course, he was raised from the dead. And we in our lives follow that same trajectory each and every day, you know, not just in conversion, 
Um, but as Luther said in the first of his 95 theses, uh, when our Lord Jesus proclaimed the, uh, repent for the kingdom, he intended for the entirety of our lives to be one of repentance. And yet in that place of, of brokenness and humility, we encounter the empowering presence of God. I think that's the way the Beatitudes envisions the already and not yet. In, in terms of imitation of Christ or even union with Christ, is this a, would you, would you go as far as say this is a kind of republication of Christ in us uh, to live this way? Is that, would that be a fair way of putting it? Yeah, I think it's the way we reflect the heart of God. And of course, we want to be careful that it doesn't become a horizontal bar. You know, we must uh, achieve these virtuous uh, standards in order to possess relationship with Christ. We understand it comes as a gift. It is entirely owing to God's mercy. But when we walk with Jesus, because we are in an in intimate union with him, we have the, the gift of these realities. The spirit is generating these qualities in us and uh, they're counterintuitive. Uh, they don't come naturally, but that is what causes the, the church to radiate uh, the, the eternal presence of God. Chris, I wanted to follow up on that because I think you made a, an important point that is often missed when people study the Beatitudes. How, how is it within the Beatitudes that we can see that these are not a ladder by which we ascend to heaven or, or in a sense, in, inaugurate our relationship with God, start our relationship with God? In other words, in other words how, do, how, do, how do you, in your understanding of the Beatitudes, keep this from becoming something that is, is, is just a, a series of virtues that we need to pursue um, and on the basis of which we will we will have communion with God. Right. I think there's two ways. One is to look at the larger context. So chapter four of Matthew, Jesus begins to preach the kingdom. He's healing. He's demonstrating that the authority of God is, is with him. He, he embodies that authority. And he's calling his disciples to be part of it. And so there is an invitation for people to step into this reality called the kingdom. And we understand that comes to us as a gift. Um, the, the, the broader teaching of Matthew, indeed all of scripture make that clear. But then also when we look at the Beatitudes themselves, who among us is capable of realizing this kind of life, the, the meekness, the poverty of spirit um, to embrace persecution, there's only one person in the history of the world who has done this, and that is is Jesus. And so um, I like the the way James described it. I, I think we have here a, a poignant picture of the life that Jesus lived, the life to which he calls us. And we are miraculously able to experience this life when we walk with him by faith. Is there a sense in which we also need to be reading the Beatitudes? So you talked about the context of Jesus' early ministry prior to uh, the Sermon on the Mount, but it, it sounds as if as well in your in your um, exposition of the Beatitudes, you are refracting all of it through the work of Christ on the cross and and as raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. Uh, and and it, 
is would you say that always has to stand in the background? In other words, the end of the gospel has to be in, in view as well when we're approaching this beginning part of the gospel? It's striking, Jonathan. We, we can see um, without too much difficulty, I think, how Jesus in his life fulfills these beatitudes. He took up the basin and the towel. He was the, the pinnacle of meekness and lowliness. And, but to your point, it's also in his death. Jesus did not receive mercy when he died for our sin. He, he was condemned. Um, Jesus, who enjoyed perfect intimacy with the Father, um, was unable to see him from the cross. Remember, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. But from the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, Jesus, who is the living water, he from the cross, he said, I thirst. And so it's breathtaking that not only in his perfect life, but also in his sacrificial death, Jesus perfectly fulfills each of the Beatitudes. In particular, I, I want to think about how that relates to us, because there isn't, you know, not for crimes that he had done, uh, and it wasn't his sins that he bore in his body on the tree, but our own. How how does Christ, in that, that moment of substitution for us, really embodying uh, these Beatitudes for us uh, and really on our behalf because it's we who should mourn uh it's we who ought be meek he's the king of kings and the lord of lords but yet he humbles himself even to the point of death how how then does that become it seems so outside of us because we're looking at an event in time and in space a long time ago um how does that become how does that become our way of living now how does this, as opposed to just sort of inspiration, but how does this really become the way the Christian lives in distinction from the world and the culture around him? Yeah, I think that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he brings this life to our souls and uh, causes it to, um, to be expressed and to extend to others. One of the ways I get at that idea in the book is by reflecting on Jesus' statement um, that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And of course, the question is, what is the righteousness of God? Um, and I suggest it has three movements. Righteousness always starts with our righteousness before God. It's our doctrine of justification. Um, Jesus' perfection is attributed to us, and we are on that basis declared to be uh, sons and daughters of the king. But it doesn't stop there, of course. While that's the ground, um, it also extends to our souls. We're renovated in righteousness, uh, our, our doctrine of sanctification, if you will. Um, but it goes further still. That same righteousness extends through the church and into the world. Think of Jesus' statement, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. It's a social righteousness or, or biblically chaste social justice. And I contend we must see that entire movement in that sequence. Um, righteous before God, uh, righteousness working within us, and then finally righteousness extending through the people of God into the world. Chris, we really appreciate your time with us. We're out of time, but we want to uh, commend to our listeners The Upside Down Kingdom by Chris Castaldo. Thank you for your labor on this book and thank you for giving us a couple minutes of your time today. 
my pleasure. Thank you. Well, the title again is The Upside Down Kingdom, subtitle Wisdom for Life from the Beatitudes. It's published by our friends at Crossway, and Crossway has provided us with some copies that we can give away to those who enter to win. And so if you want to do that, you can do that at theologyonthego.org, placefortruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link. There's an opportunity there for you to enter your information. And if for those of you who are able to donate to help the work of the Alliance, we we appreciate that. We rely on that. And you can do that at alliancenut.org or placefortruth.org. And if you know someone who'd be helped by this, either this specific episode or just the, the podcast in general, um, please pass it along. If you're able to review us, wherever it is that you download this, review, write a comment that helps us spread the word. And, um, and, and we love hearing from you too. So please feel free to write to us with suggestions or questions. And as always, thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. <laughs>